From Lazier Capital, this is the ESOP Insider. In this four-part podcast, we will take you through all you need to know about selling your company to an employee stock ownership plan, or ESOPs, as they're commonly known. Now, as industry leaders in the ESOP space, we know there is a lot of noise and, frankly, just poor advice floating around. We here at Lazier Capital have sold over 200 ESOPs, which is a sizable amount more than most any other firm in the nation. And in the year of this recording, 2024, we will close over 40 new ESOP deals. All that to say, we feel pretty confident on this subject. Now, maybe you're here because you've heard of ESOPs before, but are just looking for more info to educate yourself. Or maybe you are in the process of selling your business right now and thinking about doing an ESOP. Wherever you are in the process, this series is for you. Now, our goal of the show is to not only give you those high-level talking points, but to really dive down and take you through the strategic and emotional business decisions. We'll do this through talking with ESOP industry experts, employees of ESOP companies, and business owners like yourself who have made the call to do an ESOP. So, without further ado, let's dive in. ESOPs can be an excellent vehicle for selling a company, but they do come with their fair share of complexity. To better understand this complexity, we sat down with Ted Lape, partner at Lazier Capital, to frame up what an ESOP is and how to best utilize it. Um, Ted Lape, I'm one of the three partners at Lazier Capital. Started out in banking, and banking is a commodity. So I always like to find things where I could provide a solution that was a little different than what everyone else had. ESOPs were, were perfect for that because it's a life event for people, and when they are thinking about what they want to do, if they decide to do an ESOP, uh, then they also start thinking about all their banking. And I just thought it was really great solution for people who don't want to sell to private equity um, or, or uh, to a competitor, because uh, I would hear that over and over again. Uh, and then, of course, there's all the tax advantages. So I started to get into uh, ESOPs and went around to start telling everyone about it and uh, did that in banking for a while and then uh, joined here and, and brought that expertise over here. Ted and his team at Lazier Capital are the preeminent experts on ESOPs. And as I said up top, in Lazier Capital's 20-plus year run, the firm has seen over 200 ESOP deals. So if there's anyone qualified to speak on the subject, well, I'd say it's Ted. So Ted, if you wouldn't mind, can you explain to me in just the most basic sense what an employee stock ownership plan is? Yeah, uh, the easiest way to think about an ESOP, it's like you're selling to a 401k plan, except Rather than having your stock, uh, having the stock of Apple or IBM or somebody, the stock in the in the retirement plan is your stock. So you're essentially selling to this defined contribution plan like a 401k, um, and you're putting your stock in there instead of, as I said, Apple or, or IBM. So if you're a business owner, is there a, a litmus test of some sort that can more or less indicate if an ESOP is going to be right for your company? Yeah, there's really nine easy reasons that people can understand to do an ESOP. The first is total sale proceeds uh, before tax typically will um, end up being more than in a third-party sale. And that surprises most people. The second is you have the ability as the seller to sell tax-deferred and ultimately tax-free. Post-sale, if you do 100% ESOP, which most people do, uh, the company typically becomes federal and state tax-free. Yeah, the government really wants you to do this. I mean, Bernie Sanders loves ESOPs. Republicans love ESOPs. Uh, because it gives employee ownership. It's a good thing. So they've created a way that you can sell tax-deferred and ultimately tax-free. 
And if you think about it, it's 20% federal tax. And then uh, most states have a 5 or 6% tax. If you think about places, though, like New York or California or New Jersey, you know, it can be up 13 14%. And even states like Texas that don't have any tax, we do a lot of ESOPs. But the ability to sell tax-free, uh, people like. So just to pause here. Yes, tax benefits are a huge driver in a business owner's decision to go ESOP. And as you just heard, these tax benefits are unique and many especially when you start adding up all that you actually pay in a conventional sale. Now, with all that said, before you go running out the door to get Lazier Capital to structure your ESOP, there are some other major considerations to hold as well. Let's get back to it. The owner uh, typically wants to maintain operational control post-closing, and they do in an ESOP, uh, and that's, that's usually very, very important to them. Usually the owner's made a lot of promises to those key employees, and the ESOP allows them to keep that because we do a very, very robust management incentive plan uh, that is worth usually millions of dollars to those key people. The employees also do very well. Um, even the lowest level employees typically get hundreds of thousands to sometimes over a million dollars uh, to supplement you know, the, the retirement that otherwise they wouldn't be able to afford. The due diligence is a lot easier in an ESOP than it is in a third-party sale. Um, there is, you know, a fair amount of, of, you are selling the company, there's a fair amount of information you have to give, but it's a whole lot easier than a, and less intrusive than a third-party sale. And it's a lot more confidential. Um, you don't typically have to worry about your competitors finding out, your employees finding out, your suppliers finding out, and all the problems that that creates. Third-party studies show that ESOP companies outperform non-ESOP companies. Uh, studies by Rutgers and others show 4 to 5% increase in productivity, uh, less turnover, more growth, a lot of, a lot of great outcomes from that. Um, and another easy one for people to understand is uh, a lot of times people own real estate. And uh, in an ESOP, you can keep the real estate and lease it to the company or you can sell it. Uh, but a lot of times people want to just do handle everything. Uh, and either it maintains a tenant for that real estate uh, whereas if you sold, they may move the company and now you got an empty building. Uh, or it allows you to sell to the real estate, uh, the real estate to the company, which is a great solution. Ted, let me ask you, is there a model industry where ESOPs just work particularly well in? Yeah, um, they're in all industries. The last statistics I saw, manufacturers are the biggest people that do ESOPs. Two uh, uh, industries we see a lot are contractors. Um there's often not a great way to sell your company if you're a contractor to a third party. Uh, the values aren't great usually unless you're doing all service work. And uh, uh, it's a way to keep all your team together. And, and then there's all the other benefits of an ESOP we'll probably get into. Uh, and then the other one is professional service companies, architects, engineers, consultants, software people, because um, you have what are called elevator assets, which are your people. They walk out the door at night, you want them to come back the next day. And what an ESOP does is it helps with recruitment, with retention, uh, to lower turnover. So if, you're, if your asset is your people, uh, it really helps motivate them, you know, get better um, and, and, and get better with, as I said, recruitment, retention, and also performance. You'll see uh, third-party statistics done by Rutgers and other folks, you'll see a 4 to 5% increase in productivity. Uh, and then we also see them, um, you know, in industries that don't lend themselves to selling 
um, to to a, a third party just because they're really niche and maybe mis- not understood well, or mm-hmm. you know uh, they're in the coal industry or, or whatever. We'll, we'll see a lot of those, but we see them in all industries. We do you know distributors. We do we do basically all the different industries. And then on the other hand, is there a business that uh, an ESOP just doesn't make sense in? Um, there's more the characteristics than I would say the industry. So for an ESOP, you get money, you know, a nice chunk of money at close, but you're typically getting chunks every year for five, six, seven years to get all your money. So you want to feel pretty good that um, the company's going to do well in the future. So that means hopefully the company's got good dynamics and it often, uh, and that you have someone to run it. So if you're planning to go to Florida tomorrow and you're the whole company, you know, and you're, you're done, that's not a good ESOP. Or you think Amazon's going to come kill the company, your government is going to change something that's going to destroy your company. Those are all things you wouldn't probably look at an ESOP. Uh, but if you have a solid company that, that you're either have or are going to uh, use the ESOP to go find and train people to run it, uh, those, are, those tend to be better. And then, Ted, looking after the deal's done, what's the timeline looking like post-sale uh, to get your money? Or how are those funds transferred? Or, or what should someone expect? Yeah. Um, so you, you you get your money in an ESOP. Typically, you get whatever a bank will end up front. And then the money you don't get up front, you get a, let's call it a 12 or 13% return on. And then um, usually uh, the bank gets paid down very quickly, whatever you borrowed, because you're tax-free, usually you're tax-free. And so since the bank gets paid down very quickly, the bank at the end of the year is like, hey, I got goals I got to meet. I'd love to lend you more money, (laughs) you know? And they lend more money and that to the company. And then the company takes that money and pays down the seller note and you do it again. And usually it'll take, I don't know, four years to get the purchase price and another year or two to get all that extra interest. And so, you know, if you sold for 30 million, maybe you end up with 40 million kind of thing. People like the fact that they get these chunks each year mm-hmm. and um, that they do get that extra money because they usually if they do an ESOP, they feel pretty good about the future of the company. So they think that's a pretty secure way to get your money. Uh, and now that the company is tax free, uh, they're getting it pretty quickly. Ted, in the scores of ESOP deals that you have worked on throughout the years, uh, could you maybe tell me a little bit about your experience with generational transfer and and how that works within the world of ESOPs? Yeah, so that's obviously one of the questions we ask up front. And what we're seeing more and more is either the family members don't have an interest in taking over the company um, or uh, the, the owners are getting a lot more clear-eyed about whether their children are the right people to take it over. It's actually somewhat rare that the right person to take over the company as your child because they just may not have the work ethic or the skills or the desire or the right age or experience or whatever. And it used to be people would sort of ignore that. Um, Sometimes they are the right person, but but more often than not, they're not. So with an ESOP, uh, the way it can work, the reason that some of these owners that have children in the business like it is because there's a role for the child for as, long, for as long as, you know, the child wants to work there, typically, as long as the child's actually working. And they could have as big a role as they're capable of, you know, in that company. Uh, and they'll do well through stock in the ESOP. 
Uh, there's usually robust management incentive plans if they're part of management. They can they can get that, and of course they'll inherit from dad at some point. But from the dad's perspective, um, a lot of owners have not saved a lot of money outside the company because they've kept all the money in the company to build it. <clears throat> and if they give it to Junior, and Junior, you know, it's like giving a Maserati to a kid, and he wraps it around the tree. You know, if that happens, you're not diversified, and you got a big problem. So they like the fact that the ESOP's going to diversify their wealth while allowing them to maintain a role for their children. Our role quite often is a little bit of a psychologist because um, a lot of families have dynamics that that aren't great. Uh, and sometimes, a lot of times, there's maybe two owners, and they each have family, uh, and maybe... Um, what we see a lot is is one side of the family, the owner has kids that are probably pretty capable and they're working pretty hard. And the other side has some kids who maybe aren't as capable and aren't working very hard. Um, and and so you have to kind of think through that. And uh, the ESOP can actually be, be a wonderful uh, answer because in that situation, uh, often... Uh, the the family that's maybe working in the business um, would like to buy out the family that's not working as much anymore, and you get in these fights, and um, and then this could be in any situation, even if it's owned by one family. What an ESOP can do is it it makes a lot of sense to sell 100% to an ESOP because you're 100% tax free, and there's other reasons, but is it, it puts everyone on the same side of the table to get a great answer. If you don't have that, one side saying it's worth a billion dollars and the other side saying, no, no, it's worth a dollar, and you get frozen. And then and that's all this bad blood. Well, if you put everyone on the same side of the table, now they all, you know, uh, uh, are, are, are together for, for a great price. But then the people that want to work in the business can stay and keep working in the business, and the people that don't can leave, and you've solved the problem. Well, Ted, I want to be mindful of your time today, so thank you. And as a final question, to kind of just put a bow on it, in your words, what makes Lazier Capital special? What, what makes it stand out amongst all the other firms in the country that may have ESOP offerings? Um, like, why should I work with Lazier? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. One is, we're the only firm that I know of, and there, there's not a lot of firms that do this. Just in the last conference, I talked to a bunch of people, and they all know kind of how many ESOPs people do. And um, from what, what I gathered from all the, the statistics, are we are now the largest in the country doing this. But we've teamed that with small teams, so you get the personalized service. The fact that we're doing all those deals, we see more. And we execute everything out of our office here in Columbus, even though we have people in 10 cities, uh, soon to be 12. <laughs> um, so they all talk to each other. And we have eight attorneys. We have eight accountants. We have valuation people. We got ex-bankers. We have all this in-house talent. We don't practice law or accounting, but they have that expertise. And so every deal we do, we deal with the best attorneys, accountants, and, and people in the country. We learn new things every time we do a deal. So we're able to bring those new solutions to bear um, for, for a deal. And so we come up with structures other people don't have, deductions other people don't have. Also, our, our history as a sell-side firm, you know, in ESOPs, unfortunately, a lot of times you get a lot of conflicts where people try to wear more than one hat, and that creates some conflicts of, of interest. 
uh, we only represent sellers. Mm -hmm. If you, for example, if we represented buyers, that would be like doing valuations. Our client would be the trustees who are the buyers and ESOPs. The trustees would be the ones sending us a lot of work. Um, and then, of course, if we are now representing a seller um, and negotiating with that trustee, it's kind of hard because they're our biggest client, right? And we're getting 100 deals from them, and this is only one deal from the seller, you know. Um, so we've just avoided that, even though you can make a lot of money doing valuations. Uh, we don't do that. So we, we're a pure play. We only represent sellers. Um, and then we have all these capabilities. And then the other thing is, when you think of an ESOP, it's sort of two um, transactions. You got the sale of the ESOP. And because we have all these people and have the 95-point checklist, we think we do that better. But then... Um, you have to decide when you go to do the ESOP, before you do the ESOP, do you want to sell tax-deferred and ultimately tax-free? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the second transaction. And the way you do that hadn't changed a whole lot in like 50 years. Mm -hmm. So we came up with a new way to do that that's a lot easier and user-friendly and solved a lot of problems of the way the, the uh, old way. Um, and, and, and so uh, that's a, a big differentiator as well is um, it's very powerful to sell tax-free, mm -hmm. but only like 20% of our clients were doing it because it was, you know, it was, it was complex yeah. and there were some issues. And, and now uh, most of our clients are doing it because it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a big differentiator as well. All right, so that was a lot of information. And though I bet you now know more about ESOPs than you came into this episode with, trust me, we still have a lot more to discuss and expand upon. Now we'll do this in the coming three episodes by exploring all the aforementioned points Ted made through the lenses of business owners who have all been through their own unique ESOPs and their own unique industries and who are all happily on the other end of their ESOP deals. We will sit down with David Phillips and Josh All of ASI Commercial Roofing. Uh, people would quit pre-ESOP for 50 cents an hour. Well, now they're starting to understand that the ESOP's pretty good. Our benefit package is really second to none. The turnover has gone way down, and employees are the hardest thing in the world to find right now, as everybody knows. I don't care what industry you're in. We always call it the migration. Every spring, coming out of winter, all of the uh, hourly employees, roofers, they go find out where they can get the biggest button. We don't see that now. I mean, they're coming to us, but we don't see them leaving. Paul Grove and Justin Browder of Axia Consulting. Yeah, I think it's a virtuous cycle, right? I think the ESOP concretely states that we believe that every individual that works for Axia is important, right? No matter what we can say in any meeting, we can't match the fact that your account goes up when Axia grows. And that shows everybody that we mean it, that each individual is important because we're a people business, because we take time to recruit the best of the best. And so creating that culture that you feel like you're a part, you are a part of ownership, I think allows for people to feel more comfortable when they are remote. And Rudy Caligari of Edge Rentals. At first, the employees have a very difficult time wrapping their head around it because they may have never heard of it before. They truly don't understand the value. And then after year one, people have more pride. They have more sense of ownership. They have, they have a sense that they're with us for the long haul. They know that in you know, 10, 20 years from now, depending on what their age is, they're going to be able to retire with uh, capital that they would have never had before. 
Now, each one of these leaders have their own unique ESOP story and really span the gamut of industries. The goal here is to see how an ESOP works and functions amongst many different style of company. Now, to wrap up this episode and provide three takeaways, number one, we hope you now understand that there's many reasons a company would want to do an ESOP, from tax advantages to employee retention to even emotional drivers. Number two, you now know the general roadmap and timeline for how an ESOP is transacted and how they differ from other business sales. And number three, you have a better idea what goes into an ESOP for all parties involved. So we hope you enjoyed episode one of this four-part series. Like I said, we have plenty more to dive into in the coming episodes, so stay tuned. Now, we know you have questions and hopefully we have those answers. Please reach out no matter what step of the business sale process you are in so we can help. You can drop us a line or get in touch with us at laziercapital.com. That's L-A-Z-E-A-R capital.com. And make sure to check out the show notes on the site for this episode for an even deeper dive into all that we talked about today. See you next episode.